welcome to episode 100 of the Haskin Cast podcast. My name is Scott Haskin and I am your host of the Haskin Cast podcast because why wouldn't I be? Wow, 100 episodes. Can you believe we've made it this far? Here's the fun part. I don't even know what day it is because I'm actually recording this in uh, January. It's January 12th and in a couple of days, episode 92 will be hitting the airwaves. Uh, so I don't know when exactly this will come out. I wanted to get it recorded and uploaded uh, just so that it would be there and be ready to go. I've set a tentative date uh, in March for this to release. Obviously, you'll know it's released because you're listening to it. Uh, and then I will move the date accordingly as I need to. Uh, fortunately, that's really easy to do. You just go in and change the date and hit upload. So uh, anyway, I have no idea what day it is. But what I do know is that I have an incredibly fabulous guest on my show today. I am so fortunate to have secured some time with this wonderful, beautiful young lady. She uh, she does so many amazing things, and uh, we get to talk about almost all of them. I knew the time would go really quickly. That was the biggest problem is that, uh, you know, when you when you get somebody who's so engaging uh, and you have so many questions, I actually don't write a lot of questions down. I want a very organic conversation. But with her, I wrote two pages of notes and I think I actually looked at it twice and barely picked anything off of the list because the conversation just flowed so well. It was very organic. And uh, a lot of the questions that I asked her just came from things that she said and not things I had planned to uh, engage with. So, uh, it, but it was a great conversation, absolutely fantastic. And uh, I'm sure that you guys will enjoy it. Uh, I find it interesting when somebody is known for something that they did in their childhood that that uh, it can become such a predominant thing and all the other things that they do, uh, no matter how amazing they are, can sometimes get overshadowed by that. But I want to talk about the thing that's nostalgic or, uh, you know, I want to talk to you about all these wonderful people that, you know, and I've listened to hours of interviews with Allison and, uh, that's been the, the crux of so much of it was about the show she was on, about people that she knows about, uh, you know, her run-ins with other celebrities. I'm like, but you're a great celebrity and you have so many great things to say. Let's talk about you which is what I really wanted to do. And I think we did a pretty good job of that. Now, I do have to apologize, though, and I'm sorry, Allison, but the uh, one of the things that we did not get to talk about just because of, of the, the time restraints was her uh, web series, Life Interrupted. And I've got the link in the show notes. So when you're done listening to the podcast, or if you want to pause the podcast and go check it out, uh, it is called Life Interrupted. It is on YouTube and it is a delightful little show. They have one season, it's six episodes, or you can watch the combined episode, uh, which compromised or comprised of all six episodes, but the individual episodes, if I remember right, they have a little more content and then it was edited down a little bit more for the full version. So, uh, I recommend watching the individual episodes. You'll get a little more content out of it. And it's, it's hilarious. I didn't even have that great of a sense of humor and I found it hilarious. I was laughing. It was, it's a really good show. Very well done. You'll see a lot of familiar faces, especially if you're around my age group, uh, even a little younger. Uh, or or maybe uh, my perception is wrong, and everybody will know who uh, all of these people are right away. As soon as you see them, you'll recognize them. Uh, but it's fantastic, so go check that out. I wish we could have delved into uh, a little bit about that, but we didn't get the chance. Uh, but we did talk about so many other wonderful things. Um, her time on her television show, and uh, if you don't recognize her name or didn't read it in the show note, you'll see it. You'll figure it out soon enough who she uh, who she was on television. But she's gone on to do so many things. She's been in horror movies. She's been in uh, comedies. She has a one woman show. She does uh, tours of homes, and she does a grave tour. And I mean. It's just, it's unbelievable the stuff that she does as an entertainer. And then there's the other stuff that she does, which we will also talk about on the show, which, um, you know, I, I'm still uh, a little bit in shock about how the world works sometimes. I really isolate myself from the world very heavily. Uh, I'm not on the internet a whole lot. I don't read a lot of posts on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. I'm, I mainly, uh, you know, post check up on a few close friends, uh, scroll for a few seconds, and uh, I engage with what little I see. But there's so many uh, political things. Uh, Twitter is just kind of a, a blur of uh, you know issues and whatever. And so I really don't pay attention to a lot because if I'm doing that, I'm not creating new content, which is what I am all about. So uh, I don't really spend a whole lot of time there. And part of it is just because uh, I just, I don't like a lot of what I see. 
Uh, there's too much uh, anger and hatred. And you have to listen to what I say because I'm right about everything. And if you don't, then you're a terrible person and all that sort of stuff. So I really don't pay that much attention to what goes on. And when I found out about the stuff that uh, she and I talk about, uh, which I found out, I think, in one of the podcasts I listened to that she was on, uh, and then she talks about it in the book. Uh, I, I was just blown away. And I'm glad that there are people like her that are out there um, fixing the mistakes that we have made as a society. So lastly, before I bring her on, I also want to talk about her book, uh, which we will talk about a little bit on the show, Confession, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch. And this is a, it's an emotional roller coaster. I'll give you that. But there are so many interesting stories, things that I would have never thought about uh, happening with, with her show, but also things that were going on in her life. She's very open, very candid. Uh, she went on Larry King specifically to discuss things that happened to her in her childhood so that she could start the process of making change in the world. And she has, uh, with, uh, with great, great effort and, uh, great results. So uh, thank you very much, Allison, for uh, doing your part to make the world a better place. Her show, The Allison Arngram Show, which is uh, you can watch it live on Facebook. I think it's on Tuesday nights. And then uh, where I listen on Podbean, it comes on uh, usually Wednesday or Thursday by the time the episode hits my app. Uh, but it's a, it's a great show. And she brings on uh, celebrities, but she also brings on people that are doing what they can to make the world a better place much like her, because that's a very important focus to her. So uh, I could go on all day and talk to you about how uh, fortunate I feel to have done the interview, how great she is and all the great things that she's doing. But she did a pretty good job talking about him. So why don't I just let her do that? Thank you guys for joining me on episode 100. Please, while you're listening, uh, feel free to rate, feel free to write a review, uh, feel free to share uh, anything to help get the word out. If you would like to donate to the podcast and help me cover some of the expenses, uh, you can go to my website at scotthaskin.com, hit the podcast link, and that will take you to the little donate button that goes through PayPal. Uh, if you have any questions, any concerns, anything you want to talk to me about, feel free to send me a note at scott at scotthaskin.com. And uh, thank you guys so much for everything. A hundred episodes. Uh, it's uh, That's huge. Can't believe it. Uh, I wish I knew what day it was so I knew when to celebrate. <laughs> thank you guys. Here is my interview with the lovely Allison Arngram. Hey, everybody, a quick editor's note uh, before I go ahead and bring Allison on. I just finished uh, editing the episode, and this was recorded uh, shortly after I installed my new Motu M4 audio interface, which I absolutely love. But uh, what I heard in the editing was a couple of jumps and a couple of pops that I was unable to remove. So I just wanted to uh, let you know, as this will be uh, out of the time sequence. So uh, this uh, has obviously been cleared up as uh, other episodes have aired, but uh, that did affect this episode. So I'm sorry, Allison, I'd, I thought I had everything under control. And uh, it's it's pretty minor, but it's noticeable. And if you're an audio guy like I am, it'll just bug the shit out of you. But anyway, here it is. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me for my 100th episode of the Haskin Cast podcast, I am so, so grateful to have secured a little bit of time with this lovely woman who has just made such a difference in the world, and we're going to talk about that. She has been interviewed by Megan Kelly, Larry King, some Australian show I still never found out the name of. She is an actress, an author, a comedian. She has a one-woman show that also has no men. She has survived the Human Centipede movie by never auditioning. And she is the French female David Hasselhoff. I still find that fascinating. Uh, she, I'm pretty sure that she's done at least one interview for every hamburger that McDonald's has ever sold. But she has her own collectible pony. And I've never met anyone that has that. Uh, she is a New York Times bestselling author and the host of the Allison Arngram show. Allison Arngram. Allison, how are you today? I'm great. I was laughing hysterically during that. That was really funny. And it's true. Well, thank you. I uh, I didn't plan that at all. That was completely spontaneous or something. <laughs> and it was all accurate is what's terrifying. So there it you go. It really is. And I forgot to mention that you are in not one, but two museums. I am. I am. What am I in? Oh, I'm in the Walnut Grove Museum. I'm in the Hollywood Museum. What else am I in? Uh, I, know, I know it was those two because you've mentioned those before, but that's that alone is pretty incredible. 
that's plenty, isn't it? Right? It really is. Now, I could be wrong because I was very young when I went there, but there's a place in Michigan called Greenfield Village where they've relocated a lot of famous houses. And I want to say that one of Laura's houses was there. It's entirely possible. The Laura thing is sort of all over the country because, all right, you've got your Walla Grove in Walla Grove, Minnesota, which does not really have much of original buildings. Uh, they kind of went away. They were little cabins and they all blew away. The most original thing they have in Walnut Grove is the little Saudi house they cut into the hill, which right. is kind of just a big indentation in the ground with a sign on it now. Um, but if you go then to Missouri, where she lived later in life, where she and Almanza lived, that house is lovely. There's a big museum in Almanza with Laura buried there. And then DeSmet. DeSmet has a lot because the Ingalls moved to DeSmet, South Dakota, after Minnesota. And they live there the longest. So most of the Ingalls family, except for are buried in DeSmet, Charles and the whole gang. Wow. And the Ingalls had money when they got to DeSmet. They they did well. And so there's like the store. They had their own store. They they were like the Olsons. They had a store. Their store, the church, a whole bunch of stuff of the original town of DeSmet is still there mm-hmm. and was, you know, Ingalls stuff. So they have way more of their stuff. I think Independence, Kansas has the cabin or part of the cabin. The, the little house. So there's a bunch of places that have stuff. And then there's people who've got not a um, Heritage Hills in Wisconsin does not have any Laura stuff. But they have a whole 1800s building thing. Right. Genesee Country Village in upstate New York, which is where near kind of yeah, where Almanza was born and raised. Mm. They have a whole 1800s village, but none of it's prairie. It's just other <laughs> 1800s people. Like, gave this them their is houses. as close as we can get without, you know, yeah. infringing on something. Well, what they do is they'll have like an 1800s village and they have like old glass blowing and pottery and things and people can come and buy bonnets and hang out. And then they figured out, duh, like one weekend of summer, they have Laura Ingalls Wilder Days and stock the shop with all the books and fly in a couple people from the show and have a little party and make money. Well, you know, for those of you who are wondering why Allison is so knowledgeable about all things Laura Ingalls. (laughs) Way too much. Way too much. It's because she was uh, actually the actress who played Nellie Olson and brilliantly, I might add, to the point where you have affected people's emotions so much that they have actually thrown things at you. Is that a compliment or? I, I had to take it as one. I, I, I pondered this as I wiped the orange soda from my face. Christmas, Christmas parade for the love of God. Right. Um, the Santa Claus Hollywood, the Christmas parade, Santa Claus Lane. And I'm waving away and, and someone threw a cup of McDonald's orange soda at my head and direct hit. Um, it was kind of, but I thought, well, wait, now who does this? And God, I must be good. Um, and so, yes, a couple of times I've had people just slip out and throw things and attack me and whatnot. I thought, well, I've hit a nerve. Uh, <laughs> it's like, what do you say? It's not right. No, you should be getting hit with an orange soda. But clearly, as an actor, <laughs> the idea is sure. to make something. You, you're hoping against hope as an actor that you will perform something somewhere where the audience will suspend disbelief and feel like it's real. Right. Clearly, I have accomplished this. <laughs> you have. And, and I, as, a, as a fan, uh, I guess I could understand uh, having affected someone to that degree. But as a human being, do they not understand oh. that you are not, you, you know, you're an actor playing out a script that someone wrote? Oh, yeah. I mean, like getting hit the face with the orange soda is hilarious. And I put it in my act. But as a human being, oh, my God, why would you do that? And, you know, obviously filled with the love of the holidays as they were. <laughs> right. Who does this? Yeah, that's, uh, um, so that's wild. It's kind of weird. Yeah, people get crazy. But I've noticed that with even now, I mean, people are a little more. I think way more conscious of fantasy reality, TV, real life. And they see celebrities now on interview shows and on Facebook. Go, oh, there's an actor. Um, but it's, I still have people where they'll be at like a celebrity event or an autograph show where there's other celebrities. And you'll see, they'll talk to the other celebrities and go, oh, yes, this was, they're an actor. I like their show. And they'll get up to my table and they'll jump three feet in the air and back up like they're frightened for a moment. Hmm. Like, oh no, she's real. It's <laughs> like wow. a sort of alarmed reaction. I was like, okay. And and these are sane people who do manage to pull themselves together and act normal. <laughs> but it, there is definitely with Little House, it was such an emotional show mm-hmm. that people still 
act like it's real. And and I'm amazed that like on Facebook now there's so many of these people who just started watching it like it's a new show. And there's like, well, can't I go to the town? And people say, well, do you mean the town, Walnut Grove in Minnesota, where it happened in the 1800s? Or do you mean the town, the sets where they filmed it that, well, no longer exist? And they're like, right. it's not real? No, it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a reality it's show. Not real. It's real. Yeah, it's, it's a reality show that uh, takes place in the 1800s. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but it's hard people, for people. It's just It was yeah. very realistic, and we hit mm. a nerve. And then I, I just scared people. And I'm very I'm very proud. I'm Thank you. I'm very pleased that people liked it so much that 45 years later, people are still mad at me. I mean, that, <laughs> it's got, that's got to be some kind of an accomplishment. I don't know what, but it's something. Well, and imagine if that happened, if this was all happening today. I, I think about that girl in the last uh, Star Wars trilogy who ended up deleting her oh. Twitter account because she was bashed for what her character was doing. Uh, and, oh, and I mean, oh. threatened, and it was ridiculous. Game of Thrones, that darling boy, the mm-hmm. Irish boy, to play the evil little monster prince, little King Joffrey. Mm-hmm. King Joffrey, Game of Thrones. Okay, he was vile, just vile. Well, the actor is a very nice young man. I think he's Irish, uh, lives in England, very academic, was going to some very fancy school, and he was really involved in theater. and. He kind of did it as a lark, like he wasn't really going to get into um, television. And then he did it. Well, the mail, the reactions in public, uh, people went so insane that um, it was was out of control. Mm -hmm. And he's this lovely boy. He has an interview. He's not he's not doing anything else. You don't get because of how badly everyone treated him. We don't get actor in other stuff. Because right. when he got done, he went, yeah, I'm not doing that again. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, he'll be doing theater and doing stuff in academia and the theater world, but he's not going to do any more TV yeah. because it was just too horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's, Jack it's... Gleason. His name is Jack Gleason. A delightful, charming young man, actor. I've seen interviews with him. He's adorable. And yeah, oh God, he was in Reign of Fire, which I like. And that's that's it. He's just kind of like done. He doesn't do public appearances. And he's really not going to be in anything else. And has gone back to his academic career and has retired from acting because... Everybody went nuts. Yeah. <laughs> they were so horrible. They thought it was real. And he was like, yeah, no, this is not worth it. Well, and what really sucks is that's the dream gig, right? After that's the kind of thing right. that you're like, this is it, finally. I, and, and then you you realize that, no, I'd want to do this again after my dream what, is not what I wanted. It, doesn't every actor, theater, teacher always say, I'm trying to, you did, hoping that people will believe them. And instead, you know, they come up and they go, oh, you're really good in the movie. But half the time we watch movies and we're still totally aware it's, you know, like, well, Jack Nicholson, he's brilliant, but you know, not know that it's Jack Nicholson. Right. Um, we're very aware that we're watching Robert De Niro, whoever, in a movie. Um, we don't really think he did any of those things because we know it's the actor. But actors hope someone will watch a movie and be just transported and go, oh, my God, this is really happening and start freaking out and crying. That's the plan. Right. But then when somebody does it, like this Jack Leeson kid, people practically want to kill him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I and I think that had had Little House on the Prairie come out now, I think that you would have suffered that same. Uh, I mean, what you experienced was bad enough, but with uh, with the connection that people now have uh, to their fans, I think it, you probably would have experienced quite uh, the similar event. Oh, I think so. I think now, um, and it's weird because, like I said, people are a little saner about Nellie now. But but um, yes, I suppose that now, if it, if we had had social media then, basically, where people said, I think yes, I uh, my Twitter feed, I would have to just have my publicist do my Twitter and Instagram for me because right. it would be ridiculous. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. They'd uh, be maniacs. One thing, too, that I, I I did not know until you said it in one of your interviews, and maybe a lot of other people don't realize this, is that Nellie Olson didn't exactly exist in the real world. She was a composite of three, yes. uh, including Nellie Owens. Now, that's not different enough of a name. Like, if she came back to Laura and said, hey, you put me in your book, I'm going to sue you, I don't think a judge would have said, no, nah, it's a whole different girl. Like, that mm-hmm. name is just too similar. It's very much not, well, it's Nellie Owens, who really lived in Walnut Grove and is buried in uh, Forest Grove, Oregon, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, the Owens family, and her descendants 
There's at least one who lives in Texas who I spoke to on the phone a few years ago. So I, I like met my own great grandson. Um, <laughs> Nellie Owens is the main one because Nellie Owens, named Nellie, her parents did have a store. The Owens family she had a brother named Willie. Uh, the parents, not Nels and Harriet, there were William and Margaret Owens. Mm-hmm. Um, but they lived in Walnut Grove and they had a store and two kids, Nellie and Willie. So it's like, okay, well, that would be her. And they went. she went to school in the one-room schools with Miss Beetle and Laura at that time, and they were enemies. But that meant that she would have been confined to the book On the Banks of Plum Creek when Laura writes about living in Walnut Grove. Right, yeah. But what happened is, just, you know, the books are also not gospel, real, actual things. The books... She, she, when she wrote Little Little House on the Prairie, it was like Little House in the Big Woods was the first one, and they really thought, oh, we're done. And then it exploded. So suddenly she's writing all these books. And then she's writing the books coming after the Walnut Grove one, Banks Plum Creek. People are writing in and going, we want more Nellie. What happened to Nellie? Right. And she's sitting there going, I have no idea what happened. We left Minnesota. I have no idea what happened to these yeah, people. There was but, no Facebook back then where you could just follow people. Right. You can, you can even phone. I don't know where these people are. So she's like, what do I do? Well, they want more. She's like, well, there was this girl because they're hoping like what would really be great if Nellie as a teenager showed up and became her rival for Almanzo and blah, blah, blah. Sure. So conveniently, um, Genevieve Masters and Stella Gilbert were girls that she knew later in like the South Dakota thing. I think Genevieve Masters was kind of the bitchy one. And there were these girls and they were very competitive. And she's like, well. So I just take everything Stella and Genevieve did because they actually were competing to go on sleigh rides with these boys and doing this. And I'll just say, oh, look, how convenient. The the Olsons just happened to move to South Dakota. And there was Nellie. And all this other stuff happened. And people were thrilled. Mm-hmm. So she completely made that up. Oh, yeah. Um, so when people go, well, the books are real. The show is fake. It's like, yeah, Nellie Olson, Nellie Owens never moved to South Dakota. Hi, it totally made it. Um, but she com- did a composite. And she was also terrified that, like, Nellie was going to come after her because apparently I scared her that bad. Um, so it took three people to be me. I always say it took three people right, to be yeah. as terrible as I was. But you were so good at it. Uh, oh, I, thank you. I think, though, if they had actually followed the books, and, and we actually read them in, in uh, elementary school while the series was on, uh, and I'm dating myself a little bit here, but uh, in, in second grade, I think it was, first or second grade, we actually had a Laura Ingalls unit, and we had a dinner where people brought in venison mm-hmm. and made cornbread, and it was a really yeah. big event. Mm-hmm. But I imagine you'd probably hear stories like that all the time. Well, but yeah, that's the thing is most um, because Laura Ingalls books, I mean, yeah, the libraries and the schools, there's a bunch of Laura Ingalls Wilder elementary schools and junior highs and high schools all over the country, mm-hmm. um, which was a big deal. And the books are great because they're right at that level. I mean, they're kind of targeted towards eight, nine-year-old girls, but they're right at that level where you're too old for the baby books and you're just getting to read that you can read them and they're novels and they're compelling and there's conflict and excitement, but mm-hmm. they're still really easy to read. And the number of kids who've learned to read because of those books is huge. I was at a school and they were doing a very clever thing. They said they had kids who were like really having trouble learning to read. And what they would do is bring in an episode, it's like VHS tape at the time, right. bring in a tape of a Little House episode, show it to the class, and then say, here's the book. Because Country Girls, Town Party, Country Party, there's several episodes in the first year or two that are very much things that happen in like On the Banks of Plum Creek. Mm-hmm. So they would show them that and then say, this is based on a whole chapter in this book. And it worked. They had kids who they could barely get them to read and or finish a whole book, and they wound up reading all nine of the Little House series. Right. Well, you know, it's it's something that I think I that people um, kind of crave simpler times, especially in these days. And you think about uh, through I think it was Long Cold Winter. All Laura wanted was for Pa to show back up at home and bring her a peppermint. Whereas now we'd be yeah, like, well, right? what, what game did you get for my Nintendo? <laughs> you know, it's. I know. Well, and, and there, it's also there's episodes. I mean, that was the thing is when Michael went to shoot it and people say, why didn't they stick to the books? Michael Landa was actually quoted as saying, there's an entire chapter on how to make an apple fritter. I'm not filming that. <laughs> and, you know, the long winter. Well, and then they twisted hay and then they were cold and then they twisted some more hay and then they ground some wheat in a coffee mill. Like, yeah, that's not going to do a whole epic. That's going to get mighty slow. Right. Um. If you shot according to the books, you'd have maybe two seasons. 
you'd yeah. be done. Laura would be 50 years old and you'd be done. You'd be, um, it would go very fast. You had to extrapolate and come mm-hmm. up with other things. Yeah. And, and you couldn't just have whole episodes where they're churning butter for five hours. Right. I was just going to say, you could probably have done a side YouTube series about how to churn butter, though. Right. And do you know that butter doesn't take that long to churn? It's exhausting, though, isn't it? That just looks incredibly no. exhausting. I mean, if you have a huge wooden churn mm-hmm. and you've got gallons of milk in there or cream and you're clunk, 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 it, that is it's hard on your shoulders. But it doesn't really take that long. What Laura left out when she wrote the books, because she's like, and then Ma churned, and then Laura took a turn while Ma rested, and she churned, and then Mary churned. Yeah, <laughs> she left out the part that they then emptied the churn of full butter and, like, refilled it because uh. – if you take a jar of cream, and this is a popular thing when they do prairie days at like schools and things, take a mason jar, fill a jar with cream, screw the lid on, and shake it. About 10 minutes, y'all got butter. <laughs> well, there you go. Now, see, I got to It doesn't take that long. Um, Wendy, uh, Wendy, is it Wendy McCloyd, uh, this woman wrote this hysterical uh, book called The Wilder Way. Here I am plugging someone else's book. Yeah. But she's really funny, and we actually did like book signings together a while back. Uh, oh, looks like looks like she has a podcast as well. Uh-huh. Um, the the Wilder Way, uh, Wendy. I make sure I say her name right. It's McClure, McClure. The Wilder Life. When it's so freaking funny, she was obsessed with Little House in the books, and so she kind of goes on this quest in search of Laura and goes to all the Little House sites. But early on, at one point, she decides to churn butter, and she goes on eBay and like finds a butter churn. <laughs> <laughs> buys a butter churn, goes to the store. She's like in Manhattan. So she goes to the little corner market and spends a million dollars buying little tiny containers of cream. It's just sad. Um, she sits there and she's like, puts on an episode of Little House and she's got butter before the first commercial break. And she's like, wait, what's wrong with this? Right. <laughs> yeah. She finds out that like butter doesn't take that long. Nope. And I'm kind of surprised that of all the, pe- the things that I've seen people do here on the Vegas Strip, I've never seen anyone just sit there and churn butter. No, you're right, you know, because it would be over very quickly. It you would, butter yeah. Turn. Well, but I could... Butter churning, it, at all the prairie sites, butter churning, they had a bullet-making thing oh, at wow. one of the prairie sites, heating up hot lead and showing you how Pa would have made his bullets and all that. That's just wild. I love that, that they haven't forgotten the simple life, though. I do. You know, I could talk to you all day about Little House on the Prairie because uh, it, it was one of those shows that impacted me as a child and as an adult as well. And, and then also, I'm I'm a huge nerd because most people who did this would not have, like, gone. I've, like, gone to most of the sites, and I actually know all about, like, Laura Ingalls and Nellie Owens and the history and who lived where and who did what and how long it takes to turn butter. And most people, like, even who are on Little House are like, what? No. But you've been so, to yeah, your own I'm, grave. I'm, I know, they've done my own grave because I had to go. I was up in Oregon. They're like, I was, I'd been to Portland several times. And then somebody, again, God bless the internet, a fan wrote to me because you do know she's buried up here. I was like, what? And next thing I know, I'm telling my friends, come on, we're going. And we're all jumping the car. Sure. And we're off to Forest Grove. And there's, there's the Owens grave site. It was amazing. That that would be weird, though, I have to say. It was really <laughs> weird because there's a Nelly. I'm like, it's her. Oh, right. my God. Well, I do have one more uh, question related to this, if you don't mind. Uh, and then yeah, I'm really I'm excited good. to talk to you about your book. But the the way that they sort of ended your storyline with uh, you going through that sort of taming of the shrew type ending. Yes, do, yes. Do you as, a, as an actress being so close to that character, were you happy with that? Was the message OK there for you? On the one hand, yes. I mean, when Michael first came and said, your character's getting married, I'm like, who the heck is going to marry this woman? But then when he said, yeah, it's this little Jewish guy and he won't take crap from anyone, he tells Mrs. Olsen, shut up. I'm like, okay, well, this is fun. And then, yes, it was kind of genius how they did it. I like the episodes where I'm sort of schizophrenic, where I'm nice when Percival's in the room and horrible when he turns his back. <laughs> I could have kept that up for like a year. That would have oh, been sure. great if they just kept that going. Um, she's only nice when he's in the room. But um, and then also Steve Tracy was awesome. And then the whole Percival Nelly relationship, our chemistry was so good that it really worked. So then Percival and Nelly as this romantic couple and she's redeemed by love, but she finally finds the right guy. But it worked because Steve was such a good actor and we had such chemistry. I mean, it could have been, it could have just been, oh, right. She's mean her whole life. And then, oh, she gets married. She's nice. No, yeah. but she falls madly in love. And he he does. He respects her as a person. He's holding her accountable for her actions and treating her like a person and not just going, oh, well, she's beyond help and, you know, whatever. And so that's sort of unusual for her. So and our chemistry worked. So then suddenly Percival and Nellie, the romantic couple, became a thing and people kind of dug that. 
it did, however, get boring because by the end of my, you know, I was on for seven years and a seven year contract mm-hmm. towards the end of the seven years, then they couldn't figure out quite what to do with it. Yeah. I was just kind of saying more lamb stew who needs coffee and I wasn't doing anything. I was just another nice person on the prairie. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I need to have a relapse or something because this is not going anywhere. Right. It just, I, I find that, that it, it, in a way, I think it's a good message that yes, love can overcome a lot of things, but in another way, it's kind of like all you needed was a man to just fix you. Right. And, yeah. And well, I was kinda... Nights were lonely on the prairie, but yeah, it's sort of like, <laughs> yeah. oh, she just needed a good man to straighten her. Well then why didn't the pig farmer, if that was was all right. she needed that how come when luke the son of the pig farmer was going to marry her that how come she didn't become nice then that's what i say right See? well and, and i look <laughs> at, at the message of some of the things that as i've gotten older i i'm seeing through a different set of eyes and you know one of the right. christmas movies i used to love was christmas with the cranks and i actually can't stand that movie now because it seems the message really? of it is is not about everybody enjoying the holiday spirit it's about if you're not conforming to what the group wants we're just going to bully you and bully you until you finally give in and, right, that's like, not that, fun. No, is that the right message to send? And then I watched uh, a few episodes of Fuller House, you know, the Full House reboot. Yeah. And it's the whole thing. It's like, I cheated on you. I treat you like garbage, but you think I'm really cute. So it's all going to be okay in the end. I'm like, what messages are we putting out there these days? Oh, well, like, you know, the Hallmark movies, which are adorable, but generally mm-hmm. the message is if you're a high powered executive, do not go home. For the family Christmas pageant. Right. And if yeah. you do, do not talk to your ex-boyfriend uh, from high school because that's it. You'll you'll pack up the law firm and move to the town. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, it's I like, mean, wait, it, does this ever happen in real life anybody? Right. And everything follows that same sort of, uh, you know, line of when it gets tough, when somebody sees something that they misunderstand and they just don't ever ask for clarification. They just change their attitude and won't talk to the person. Like, it's such a formula. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, it's, 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 it's what TV does. It is, I mean, Little House was sort of. Well, well, it was the 70s, so we had a lot of 70s sensibility. And then, of course, Laura was sort of pre-first wave feminism, if you will. I mean, Laura Ingalls Wilder in articles in when she wrote for the Ozark newspaper and everything talked about how, of course, women work. And we say a horse will kick down its stall if it has nothing to do. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a sort of a feminist theme running through that women were – um, demanding far more rights and, and ability to speak out than they might have in 1870s Minnesota. True. But then they ran the household until Pa came home and said, what What was it? I, I couldn't believe he said this on the show. He said, go fetch my dinner, woman. And I thought, right. my God. And she didn't punch him. No, you would never get away with that today. Now, she did give him crap, though, and he did do the nudge, nudge, wink, wink thing when he do that because – that what was the one when she told him to do? I can't believe I'm like quoting the show like this. Okay, so Caroline was <laughs> giving Charles crap about not doing the dishes, and he tried feebly to say it was woman's work. And she said, "No, men do dishes. It's in the Bible." Oh, and wow. he said, "Wait, what?" And she pulled out this obscure Bible passage, and he turneth Israel like a man turneth a dish, wiping and drying on both sides. And he went, what? She just see, you have to do the dishes. It says here you wipe a dry dish in oh, the Bible. Oh, that's brilliant. That's I don't Mandarin remember that, a, a that's, dish. that's brilliant. I love that. And so they did lots of stuff like that. It was adorable. Well, speaking of adorable, I love that you read your book uh, as the audiobook for Confessions, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, which is just a, a wonderful read. It's hard to listen to at points, to be honest, because of the, the Can you imagine that, have, recording that? It was, we, no. we had cho- breaks for chocolate. We took breaks. The, the producer, the woman who is marvelous when she did a lot of people's books, she said, okay, we brought in chocolate chip cookies. And we're like, okay, do we need to stop? Do you need some chocolate right now? Like, yes. So, right. you know, yeah. it, it well, worked out. And you, you read it and you have the book in Kindle and print, but it is a, but the audiobook is a different experience from the print. It's a right? whole other thing. And that was the thing that, that she explained to me, this woman does it. She said, the audiobook is a separate thing. Everyone goes, oh, well, everybody, nope, it's different because you're, you're literally inside their head. Right. She said, you're reading this thing. They're going to be listening to an enter in the car with the windows rolled up. She said, it's like, you know, the calls are coming from inside the house. Your voice is inside their body. And it's talk about that. And so she said, you know, things that 
might seem reasonable. No, you need to bring stuff down. You, no, you can't yell. You can't scream. And if something is really heavy, you might want to slow down because you're literally saying this inside someone's head. And that's kind of terrifying. Right. And and some of the things that you're saying are obviously very uh, powerful. I mean, for one, on the one side, you're talking about a lot of things that happened uh, with Little House on the Prairie. And, and those are wonderful, warm memories. And then we find out some of the behind the scenes stuff. And we're like, well, what do you mean you were in so much pain every day when you were filming right. this show? But then you get into <laughs> like, the... Ow, that right. uh, and then you get into, you know, the things that happened in your personal life, which led to some wonderful things that you've done. And I want to talk to you about that. But it, it is really a roller coaster, that book. And and there were so many times when I just had to put it on pause for a minute and just sort of let things soak in and go, okay, I, right? I'm taking this ride with you. I've agreed to do that. I want to know, but I don't want to know. Right, right. And that's why I tried to, you know, because that's the thing is, you know, for those of you at home, yes, we're talking about childhood sexual abuse. Yes. It was the whole thing of trying to be emotionally graphic without just stooping to physical graphic. And I thought you wrote that line very well. I was there was part of me that was like, well, what do you really mean? And then there, no, 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 I don't, I don't need to know. All I need to know is that. And then it was like, okay, that was pretty clear. Yeah, no, I got that. I don't need any more description of that thing. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't think that you went too far at all. Um, there was nothing that that left me with visual images other than like your brother walking into the room and going, "It's time." That that sort of right. uh, is all I really walked away with. And that's enough. That's plenty, yes. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And I, you know, and, I, I yeah. wanted to just hug you through the through the airwaves while I was reading all that because that must have just been incredibly difficult. But you did something amazing with it. You you found out for one and i for the love of all creatures great and small do not understand how this ever happened there oh, yeah. was the most ridiculous law on the books that this just proves why people shouldn't be doing uh, making laws because they clearly are not <laughs> capable of doing this properly how did this ever happen i don't know but the law if i understand it is basically you can molest someone as long as you're in close relation you can possibly get pardoned and then go on mm-hmm. to you know become a teacher a private uh, yeah. instructor and be around children all the time with no knowledge that you've done this to a human being and this is still on the books in many states. There's basically two forms. It's called the incest exception. And usually just say incest exception. People go, ah, because what? who thinks of such a thing? Right. But the, the two forms, and basically it's, it's, it's defense lawyers for people who got caught molesting their children came up with this creative, if you will, idea. Mm-hmm. And form one is in the older states, often down south and back east. They would look up the 1800s code. And back in the 1800s, when the incest laws were being written, they were put under the marital code next to adultery. Mm-hmm. And they were a crime against the marital state. And they were like crimes of adultery and abandonment because incest meant marrying your 30 year old cousin, not sexually abusing your four year old daughter. Like, okay. what the hell? Right. So they put it there. So basically, the go-around they did was say somebody broke into a woman's apartment and raped her and said, I'd like to plead guilty to adultery because we weren't married. Mm. It's the same legal principle. They went, well, we could plead them to incest under this, and that's probation, four years max in jail, but usually probation time served, and we can get them a walk, and it's a misdemeanor as opposed to the felony of child sexual assault, which is a felony. Or what was it, New York, incest was an E felony as opposed to the B felony of rape when they had it there. And it was huge. And they knew that they could plead to that, and then the judge and the prosecutor, the prosecutor then has a 100% conviction rate and go, la, 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 I can go home now. And the judge goes, God, you horrible people, get out of my courtroom. Great, fine, just go away. And they tell my client will go to therapy, and they leave. But the insidious one, was the new form, which they did in Illinois and California and a bunch of states as you go further west. And these are people maybe didn't have a freaky-deaky 1800s code. What happened is, is in the late 70s, and I talk about that in the book, mm-hmm. they ramped up the laws about childhood abuse and childhood sexual abuse and they, the whole CAPTA Act and all this stuff. And it was about mandatory reporting and actually appropriate sentences for these horrible crimes. So in about 1981, 1981, 82, in a bunch of states, a bunch of convicted child molesters and their lawyers got together 
and drafted legislation and went to the state house in Illinois and in California and a bunch of places and said, we need an exception for these people who have sexually assaulted their children. Now, you and I would go, why wouldn't the people in Sacramento and the county go, what? No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and no, go away. That's horrible. Get out. They sang a hell of a tune. They brought in, a, they didn't bring in shrinks. They brought in a shrink, one guy who'd like written a book and he's now dead. And everyone says he was probably a child molester too. I don't know, but he's really creepy. Yeah. And there was a bunch of people in this little group, mostly convicted sex offenders and their attorneys and one shrink who not only managed to convince the people in Sacramento to pass this law, but then the law was court-ordered therapy, and he had a center. And guess what? They all got sent there to the tune of $2 million a year. Oh, I have no idea why he wanted them to do that. Right, um, yeah. So it was all about money. It was really sick, and they got this passed so that the majority of offenders, because the majority of people who abuse children are sadly related to them or mm-hmm. living in the household like the stepdad, what have you. Sure. Uh, I had a lawyer. A defense attorney tell me that in 25 years of defending people accused of sexual molestation, he had not had a case where it wasn't the father. Wow. That's a that's from a defense attorney. That is a damning statement. Right. Yeah. And yet they said we should have an exception for the fathers. <laughs> and it was pretty nutty. And they got away with it. And so the group protect. Uh, the National Association to Protect Children, the political arm of protectors, went into these states and went to the state house and said, what if we said no? What if we wrote a piece of legislation, got a, a senator or a congressperson or an assembly person to carry it and actually made this go away? And we did it in California, uh, North Carolina, Arkansas, Illinois, California, like seven states. We got this struck down. Just, a lot of work. And that's you, awesome, though. I, seriously, when I first went to amazing. Sacramento, my friend said, well, how hard could this be? I mean, it's a no-brainer. Don't molest children. Don't let someone molest their own child go free. That's right. difficult. Why would that be difficult? What yeah. is this going to take you? 20 minutes? You'll be home by lunch. Yeah. Well, because the people that are in control of the change are also probably involved or know other people that are involved in these acts, and they're just trying to make it okay. There were a bunch of freaks, and on top of that, you had you had the hor- – I don't know like which is worse. There were people who politically w- wanted there to be an incest exception who clearly were people who were sexually abusing children, were just freaks. Sure. But then there worse were people who – no, not a pedophile, but they really liked the money. And wow. there were prosecutors who figured out that they could have a 100% conviction rate. Now, nobody went to jail. But they had 100% conviction rate because they let everybody go. They said, we'll let you go right. and walk you with no jail time if you sign this. And went, look, everyone's convicted. And I was done by 2 in the afternoon mm-hmm. um, because they let them all go. And there were judges who went, yes, it's less hassle for me. I'm done. It's quicker. And they just wanted to get these people out of their sight and didn't really care. And, and of course, defense lawyers went, I can charge the client a bunch of money and I don't have to prepare a case. I'll just plead him out on this. Woohoo! So a lot of really unsavory people who yeah. were just extraordinarily unethical and didn't care loved the incest exception. And, and then, of course, and they're in a job position to, liked it. Right. And, but they're in the position to make it happen. And that's there's no check and balance Boom. anymore, you know. And that's why people people have to pay attention. The average person was like, what? And then when I went to Sacramento and I came back, said, no, actually, they said, no, they're trying to keep the incest protection. This is going to be like a multi-year battle. And it's going to be, people were horrified. Yeah. Um, and I was like, see, there you go. Most people didn't know. Most people did not know. And they were horrified to find out sometimes that their their representative, their specific person, someone they voted for was like, woohoo, incest, yay. It was kind right. of disturbing. Yeah, that's well, I I can't say enough how much I appreciate you and all the people that that you've worked with to start peeling back these laws and start making the world a better place. I mean, you you that's all what your show is about. Your your uh, the Allison Argument show is bringing on people that are making a difference in the world. But you are one of those people. And I can't thank you enough for that, because you're not just changing lives today. You're changing lives for all of eternity until somebody else figures out some other stupid thing to do. We're doing a, another cray-cray thing because Protect is always coming up with, like, new insane things to do. Um, we now have a whole program that we're doing. It's a whole training program called um, Hero Corps. And it involves people who've come back from, say, Iraq, Afghanistan, so who have been 
wounded in battle who maybe can't go back to their old job. Maybe they lost a leg. Maybe they have PTSD. Maybe they have whatever. Something happened, and they're they're, they're and now they're they've been dealing with life and death issues. They're very brave. They can do all sorts of clever things, but they can't go back to their old job. And they're looking for work, and they don't want to have like a horrible, boring job. And they're also kind of antsy because they're used to well hunting, as it were. Mm-hmm. So if they qualify, there is this program, Project has going, um, the Hero Corp, where they go into a training program to work with the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, which are the cops who find the child porn and the trafficking. And in this training program, they they go into the training program, it's weeks and weeks, and they get trained in all sorts of computer forensics and law enforcement and child abuse issues and the whole thing. And major, major, real hacker, nerd, you know, black ops, fabulous computer things. Things that you did not know were possible on the Internet. <laughs> right. And unfortunately, you will learn about also things that you wished were not happening on the Internet. Yes. You go, people are actually doing that. Ew! Mm-hmm. Um, and they learn all these terrible things. And when they graduate, they apprentice, basically, with these ICAT teams. And then many of them wind up getting hired. They wind up doing massive Internet-type work with other companies. But they usually wind up going with the ICAT team. Every big city, you're in Vegas? And Vegas, yeah. You have an ICAC team. Everybody has a big cities, each have an ICAC team, regions like Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. And these are the police, and they're sitting in a basement with the big screens. And these are the ones that when people are trafficking in child pornography, are sexually assaulting children and videotaping it and putting it up online or trading it to their friends. Yeah. Or, yes, going online and telling the other horrible people, I have a three-year-old for rent, you know. These right. people, yeah, they find them. These are the people who find them and say, oh, look at this. There's this guy. Oh, he's horrible. And they are able to access this evidence and raid the place and arrest them. If the, the easiest explanation is you all saw the Jared from Subway incident. Oh, sure. Yeah. And the big van pulls up in front of the house and he comes out and they're like, please step into the van. That Those are the ICAC people. That's high. We already have all the warrants to search everything in your house. And we have the technology to go through your computers and your phones and everything really quickly. And we pretty much know what we're going to find. So you can just fess up now or later with your choice. Um, So he was a classic case, Jared. And they find all this horrible stuff. But because they're able to do it really well, they can get they have the warrants. They have the warrants to search. They know what they're looking for. They find it very quickly. Mm -hmm. And these people tend to film themselves doing these things. So the conviction's kind of a slam dunk. Oh, sure. Um, And it's just hideous. But these guys were really underfunded and outmanned and outgunned and out technologically, you know, gunned. Mm -hmm. So in getting them, these new trainees, we gave them manpower so they could be working the computers. Other people could go on the raid and arrest these people. Um, we also have been lobbying for the funding because, obviously, these police departments, these ICAC teams, there's the federal funding that goes down to the state and what have you. So we go to Washington and make sure they don't cut their budget. Yeah. And make sure they're all still getting paid and that they can hire more people. Right. Yeah, and, and, and we train people to go work for them, and we and we develop technology. We have a whole like whole Weiss Center for Child Rescue Technology, mm-hmm. where we're looking at technology that can help these people apprehend these people. And we're coming up with new stuff all the time. Protect is like constantly evolving. Like I said, we did the stuff focusing on the incest exception. Now we're focusing on this whole law enforcement thing, and we're adding stuff. Like each year, we go, wouldn't it be great if we did this? Mm-hmm. And we come up with these yeah. lavish new things. Well, it, it's sad that there's a, an unlimited amount of things that you can do to fix all the problems I, right? that we have, let alone just like doing things that just make the world more pleasant. It's fixing all this old, you know, bad stuff that, that is, is just baffling that it's still happening in this day and age. Uh, right. Protect has no shortage of material no, for new projects. Yeah, that's no, not, not like, at all. That's not about like, gosh, we can't think of anything to do. It's kind of like, okay, what do we pick? <laughs> right. So I, I've got the link in the show notes to protect.org. If you guys want to see yeah. what you can do to help, uh, whatever, please go and check out this link. It's amazing. Uh, I've also got the links to Confessions. Uh, confessions. Uh, that is hard to say for some reason today. Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, both the uh, yes. the book and the audio book. Uh, I love the audio book. I thought it was fantastic. I'm so glad that you put it out there. Um, and there's also... And, and it was crazy because I hadn't, I didn't do the audiobook at the time because it was right. one of those things at the time. 
audiobooks weren't in that week. And <laughs> yeah. now everyone, they do, they're doing the audiobook as they're finishing printing the, the hardcover. Well, who the sits audiobook down is being and reads done simultaneously. Anymore? Like you have to do everything on the go now. Yeah, everything's now. And, and so everyone was saying, where's the audiobook? And so I called my agent and I went, what do we do? We don't have an audiobook. Everybody, he goes, yeah, we got to do it. All right, who do we call? And then went, there you go. I did one. And of course, people were thrilled. Oh, of course. It, it was really good. It was fun. Yeah. And so definitely check that out. Now, I'm going to take a step back into your past sure. for just a moment uh, because I okay. just discovered this little gem and really thoroughly enjoyed it. Can you tell me how old you were when you recorded Here's Amy, the album? <laughs> as as I tried to explain on one of my pages, no, no actual children were harmed in the making of this album. Thank oh, God. my God. Um, except me and I'm a lost cause. Um, yes, Here's Amy. What happened is, is, so there I am, a teenager, and the Carters are in the White House, and we have a child in the White House. And there's Amy, who is kind of adorable and hilarious in a wonderful, super, like, nerd-chic fashion with her glasses. And I was doing stand-up, and I was only 15, 16 years old. I'm doing stand-up, and I was working with a comedy group, um, The Village Idiots, which included actor Peter Jurisic and Mark Danzel, who worked on the show Coach, and mm -hmm. Jan Fisher, who wrote the movie The Lost Boys. I mean, they all went on to be hugely famous. Um, and they said, you know, we should do something. I mean, we can't, as an adult, you can't really make fun of Amy Carter on stage. That would be weird, but you are a young blonde girl. Mm -hmm. And if we had something where... Nothing mocking Amy, but if Amy was making fun of people, there must be some material here. Yeah. And we started doing a whole thing on Amy, and it was insanely funny. We did a very, very short thing. We impressed, my impression of Amy Carter, ha, 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 I have the glasses. And people really liked it. They were like, yes, we want this. And then, of course, my father, and who was managing me, went, wait a minute. My mother, Norma MacMillan, was on the first family album in the early 60s where they did an album about JFK, Kennedy and Jackie, and Caroline and John John. My mother was the voice of Caroline and John John, Kennedy's children, on the comedy album mm -hmm. with Bond Meter, but for family. So we wound up, I got a record deal, and so I was 16. And we went to the studio with the Village Idiots and a marvelous guy, Greg Suddeth, who's an incredible impressionist who did the best Jimmy Carter in town. So we got him. And my mother, who had been on the first family album right. and recorded a comedy album about the Carter family starring Amy. And it was very silly. It's really it's super duper 1970s. Mm -hmm. Very much. Yeah. I mean, there's there's Richard Nixon jokes. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's it, like it, it's, it's really silly and it's terribly 70s. And I recently I listened to it. I said, does any of this some of it actually holds up and is kind of funny? Yeah, um, definitely. Amy is not made fun of. Amy is just eternally virtuous and lovely and smart and adorable and a very good girl. And it's just all the adults around her are stupid and foolish and terrible. <laughs> right, and yeah. they all make fools of themselves in Amy's presence. He's like, well, I don't know what I'm going to have to tell my daddy about this. And <laughs> Amy is eternally innocent and good. But um, it's kind of demented. And had there been an internet at the time, <laughs> right. I think it would have been a big deal because now, in 1970, what, eight, when we were doing this, where did you promote a comedy? You went on Merv Griffin or Dinah Shore. I mean, there was right. only yeah. so many places to promote it. So it was kind of this weird thing, and it didn't was not a hit at the time. I got on some talk shows and went to a bunch of things, and I toured with my stand-up act, so that was fun. And then it went away, but then Dave Drozen, the guy who had the record company who originally produced it, said... I'm doing a whole new thing, uh, Roar Records, and I'm re-releasing a bunch of the old titles on, on CD and mm. iTunes. And I was like, freaking awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I loved it. It's back. It's back. I was so excited when I saw it. And, and you know, of course, I was around in those days, so I can appreciate right. the, the names and the humor and that sort of thing. But I think it's nice to have a record of that time in the world, too. Yes, yes. Historically, it's, you know, probably eventually it's going to become like a major historical thing, which is yeah. just wonderfully weird. Yes. Mm -hmm. well, but yes, at the time, at the time, it, it made total sense. Now, I now listen to it go, my God, this is mothy. This is, is the 1970s just risen from the grave, isn't it? <laughs> right. But um, yeah. parts of it are still pretty funny. And um, I think my performance, I was like, well, that was pretty good there, actually. Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I love the sound of it, too, because it sounds like it was recorded at that time period, just as much as I love the the opening music to Little House in the Prairie. It sounds like <laughs> muddy and old, and uh, it really kind of gives you that that way back machine feeling. 
We know. did it all in a day. We went into oh, wow. the studio in the morning and recorded all the sketches because you had the Village Idiots. And, and then there's all these people like my dad and Jess, who's my other manager, are doing like back the backup vocals, whatever they're doing, lots of various crowd noises. And it was, it was like, you want to come over and be in this sketch? And <laughs> recorded it all the day, took a break, had dinner, and then invited all our friends over and then had all these people come over and had pizza and beer and then played it just hit play and played the whole thing back and let them listen to it and laugh. And then that was the basis for the laugh track. Oh, very, very good. Yeah. So there's like people that. who are in the sketches are sitting in the audience laughing at themselves. Right. Yeah. With exactly. their like husbands and wives and girlfriends and boyfriends and parents and whatnot going, bah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and then they just tweet that. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. I did not know that. So that's it's fantastic. less than 24 hours. It was done in the can. Right, yeah. <laughs> Complete with laughter. And, you know, I wish we had more projects like that these days. There's there, People don't make those kind of albums anymore. But in the in the 70s, uh, kind of dying off in the early 80s, where comedians would still do albums like George Carlin. Uh, yeah. But, but there really aren't those sort of cast albums anymore. Yeah, because I well, I was raised on you know Fireshine Theater, and yeah. and I I'm name dropping. I'm so excited. I'm friends with Phil Proctor now. It's like oh my god, I met Phil Proctor. I got to be on stage with him in an old tiny radio gig and everything. And that's the thing. Those kind of albums, those of the party records, it yeah. was all the rage. And and Laugh Records, who put out here's Amy, they did all of Luanda Page's stuff and some mm-hmm. of Richard Pryor's stuff and all of that. And it was it was a thing. Yes, and so I was very, very excited at the time because I, I knew all these artists and these these albums and was all excited about it. But now it's like, okay, well, this is weird, but it's still out there for history buffs. Exactly. <laughs> well, everything that we do, as long as it's still available somewhere, then it's immortal. It's it's always out there, and somebody can enjoy it a hundred years from now. Which would well, be I was nice. saying the other day that the thing with the internet is a bizarre psychological historical phenomenon we've sort of broken the boundaries of space and now we're breaking them of time i said now everything is going to be happening all at once at the same time everywhere yeah well you don't have <laughs> things to wait, that happened uh, 50 years ago and they're happening now okay <laughs> well i mean we live in an age now where you don't have to wait a week for an episode to come out you just get the entire nope. season and you sit there and watch it in one day and then you go all right 364 more days and i can see this again right it's well, like after the cassette and the CD, it's like, okay, what's the next thing? There is no thing. They just send the actual data to your thing you watch it on. Right. So the whole concept of buying an album is like, well, you know, you buy the thing itself is being to you. And it's gotten so crazy. It's like, when is a show on? When would you like it to be on? Yeah. Everything is on all the time and can be stopped and started and reviewed. And and now because everything is coming back and all this stuff, historically, everything is available it's kind of like time itself is skewed and everything is happening all the time everywhere at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, Justine it's Bateman. It's like a science fiction movie. It's kind of fun. Justine Bateman, who was in uh, Family Ties playing Mallory, she yeah. wrote a book about fame. And that was one of the things that she talked about is the difference between knowing that 53 million people or whatever the number was are sitting there right now watching your show versus nowadays where it's just whenever you put the DVD in, you stream it, you know, whatever it is. It's a whole different yeah. world now. Well, what blows my mind is because, like, Little House went worldwide. Of course, it's rerun in countries all over the earth. Mm-hmm. And now with YouTube and streaming and everything, it's everywhere. I lie awake at night and say, somebody somewhere right now, somewhere on earth is watching Little House on the Prairie and going, I hate her. <laughs> and that's how you smile when you drift off to sleep on your pillow. It's exactly. I guess somebody, so it's a god, it's like someone somewhere is watching me now. Yes. Which is kind of unnerving, but that's how it is. Well, I I don't want to belittle any of the other things that that I definitely want to uh, talk to you about, but I see the clock running out of time. So we're going to uh, fly through these a little bit quickly, but please don't don't feel disrespected at at all because I could talk to you for seven (laughs) days. This is the first in my 96 uh, episode uh, Allison Armgrim series. Um, Right. So... While you're doing all this, while you're saving children from the future, while you're doing these, uh, you know, tours with uh, Little House, these events that you do, you're also working on your one woman show. And I really hope that you come. I think uh, uh, Brad Garrett's place would be a really great place for you to to be here at uh, in Vegas. At the I MGM. should. I did. What did I do? I did the Onyx Theater years ago. Hmm. I've, I've been to Vegas, just not recently. Come back. We have more I lights need to come now. Come back. 
Okay. <laughs> There's more lights I'll and more back. bling. But uh, yeah, that more. would be a great How can there be more? You. There were some other I love Vegas. Um, so yes, I should come back. But yes, I do um, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, and I talk about the show, and there's video clips and fun things. And I, t- I talk about, you know, my dad managing Liberace, and there's pictures and stories. And it's and there's a, a audience participation. You get little index cards that say, Ask Allison Anything, and we have a Q&A, and it's awesome. I love that. They can do kind of a, a live version of our podcast. Right. They can ask me. Yeah, we, that's why I had the cards print. Ask Allison anything. And we do a little thing and I read off the cards. It's fun. And is Orange Soda banned from the, the venue? Really? I think it is. I think we should have like those concerts where no glass containers. <laughs> <laughs> or just put you behind a cage or something. Yeah. They're yeah. right. They've been pretty well behaved. I did. I was in New York and um, a fight broke out at the Mother's Day brunch. Somebody was so places. drunk, they got they got in a melee at, in the middle of the show at the Mother's Day brunch, and security had to take them out, and they had to call the cops. Oh, my God. That's so funny. And, and everyone was in stitches and going, okay, how crazy is my show? A fight broke out at the Mother's Day brunch. I mean, what kind of show am I doing? <laughs> Only you could bring that out, I think. <laughs> person you have to be to get loaded and get in a fist fight in mother's day right uh so and and uh the link to that by the way um allison's got this beautiful website at bonnetheads.com that has everything is just all on this everything one we website. just threw everything on i yeah, got facebook great. i got twitter i got instagram and i got the website bonnetheads.com so i'm easy yes. to locate and the night before last night i watched uh make the yuletide gay which is a lovely <gasps> isn't that Christmas a lovely movie. film it's adorable it absolutely it is, is a heartwarming. It is like a Hallmark Christmas special, but there's a gay couple. It's just, it is adorable, yes. lovely, heartwarming story about a young gay man and his family on Christmas. And I am the obnoxious Mrs. Olsen-esque neighbor. It is awesome. And the mother of his ex-girlfriend. So it's like totally awkward and terrible. And yes. Yes. And the uh, the facial expressions you had, especially in your last couple scenes, were just <laughs> that that alone was worth the price of the rental. <laughs> you know. I was able to utter the words "yoo-hoo" out of any any role where you get to scream "yoo-hoo" is yeah, sign me up exactly. And that is available uh, on demand on Amazon. So again, right now you could go right there. Well, finish listening to the podcast and then go and to it, Amazon. And it's also it becomes every Christmas. It's one of the top absolute top ten, top five like downloaded movies at Christmas. Still, it's become a classic. That's awesome. It's 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 a good watch. I would say I really enjoyed it. Um, and and it was also adorable the number of people also who watched it who wound up coming out to their relatives after the film. It was it became an icebreaker. People would go home for Christmas and they'd convince their family to sit down and watch this movie, and they'd be going, "Oh!" And they go, "Good. Now that you're in a good mood, guess what?" <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like the the soft opening, right? Exactly, and it really worked. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, also, is it and as if all of this isn't enough because you have like what fourteen minutes of free time a day? You do exactly two tours in uh, Hollywood. You do the Hollywood Home Tour and you also do the Dearly Departed Tour. Uh, yes, it's uh, the Nasty Nelly Tour of Hollywood. That's my tour. I just have the one tour. Although we're probably creating a new tour for next year. As so, there you go. Oh, great. Okay, and all of but these... the Nasty Nelly Tour of Hollywood. I was doing through Dearly Departed tours. And me and tour guide extraordinaire, uh, uh, Rich Sebastian, we get in the van. It's like 12 people. And uh, free autographed pictures included. We're the only tour that stops for milkshakes, stop the farmer's market for milkshakes. Oh. And um, it's a tour. It's kind of like this is real life, Alison Argrove. Yes, we go by Paramount Studios. We go by Michael Landon's house. We go by Liberace's house. But we also go by like, and I was living here when I got the show. And here's who used to live next door to me in this famous person and mm-hmm. tell crazy stories from my life. And we drive around Hollywood. And you were you were like the ultimate Hollywood person because you've lived there for so long. You know everybody. You know all the. Places. I lived at the Chateau Marmont. Yeah, how much better does I it mean, get that's than a, that? It's a tourist. It's a tourist attraction. And oh look, I live here. I mean, right. that's kind of how the tour works. It's like here's a major tourist site. Now, when I live here, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and I'll tell you, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Debbie Gibson lives here in Vegas, and she owns Liberace's piano or one of his pianos. Oh, does she? Yes, the blingy one with all the mirrors and stuff on it. Well, and I did do a tour in Vegas. Uh, one of your tour companies there, lovely people, uh, High Adventure something. They brought me in, and I did um, the modified Allison Arngram's Nasty Nelly tour of Vegas because oh. there was enough stuff in Vegas that had connections to right. Liberace's house. Duh, that sure. wasn't difficult. So we're able to um, uh, include that. 
And so we were able to take a bunch of stuff. And then she'd say, okay, we went, I took their tour and we went around and said, okay, so how many of the, our celebrity sites that are in here are celebrities that could be on your tour because you worked with them or had some that's like, oh, I know a bunch of these people. Sure, so yeah. we wound up creating a whole nasty Nelly tour of Las Vegas. Um, and it was, oh. Was it Las Vegas? Was it in Las Vegas? See, I don't know where I am anymore. Palm Springs. We did a Palm Springs one. But we can do the Las Vegas ones because we have sure. Liberace's house. Well, yeah. So and, what and... you need to do is go around and get me a list okay. of all the celebrity homes in the Las Vegas area, starting at Liberace's. And then I go through them and see who I have a story about. Uh-huh. And then we book a tour. And I come and I do what was like the Hollywood Nasty Nelly tour. Because we modified it for Palm Springs because Liberace sure. lived there. Yeah. And we'd modify it for Vegas. And I we go drive around and I tell stories about all those people. I'm in. And I know a great milkshake place, too. Uh, and then we have to start for milkshakes. Yes. That is key. And I live down the street. I don't know if it's accessible, but I live down the street from Red Fox's house. Oh, my God. That is awesome. He was on Laugh Records. That's right. He was. Oh, what a brilliant man. I was on the same record label. It's very bizarre. It's the connection. My life takes these really weird turns. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Well, Allison, I I cannot, from the bottom of my heart, cannot thank you enough for being the guest on my 100th episode of the show. I'm the 100th episode. Yeah. It's amazing. I I can't believe I've made it this far, but it's because no one stopped me, really. You know, but it's been so, so wonderful. I could talk to you for hours, but but the the main thing I want to tell everybody is go to uh, bonnetheads.com and uh, the link is in the show notes. All you have to do is click on it. While you're uh, reading that, you can order the movie on Amazon. You can order the audiobook. You can order the regular book for your Kindle. I mean, Allison has so much. Oh, out I just there came out enjoy. with a sock monkey calendar. My sock monkey secret agent sock monkey has his own calendar. Okay, now, now you're my favorite person. Because I can. Yeah. <laughs> <You> can. <laughs> well, please, please do th- uh, continue to do all these wonderful things that you're doing. You have touched so many lives, and I love that about you, whether it's been as an actress, as an activist, as a comedian. Uh, you you do make the world a better place, and that is the greatest thing anyone can do. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Come back and see us again. I shall. Or I hear, shall. Us, okay. hear us again, whatever it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye, Allison. Bye. How much fun was that? I mean, really, that was just such a great interview, and I have no idea where to go from here because that uh, that was pretty uh, pretty much the uh, the sprinkles on top of the uh, icing on top of the cupcake, right? Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. 100 episodes. Wow, what a journey. Um, the goal is still 300, so we are now on our way to the second benchmark, which is, uh, I guess it would be 150 because that'll be the halfway point. So 50 episodes to go. We'll celebrate again. And uh, tune in again for another episode. Uh, reach out to uh, Allison. Thank her for all the stuff that she's done because she uh, is definitely out there making the world a better place. Cheers, guys. 